Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 439. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we've got Kevin Rakestraw. Hey, Kevin. Hey, what's up? Eh, not a whole lot. Not a whole lot. Keep him busy. Yes. This week on the show, we're going to be diving into a South by Southwest movie called Bitch Ass, which is premiering at the festival this week. Uh, we're also going to be going over some of what we're watching on the watch list and this week's new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Please remember to review us on iTunes. That would be very helpful. Uh, no housekeeping to speak of, really. We have our theme for the for this month's Saved by the 90s. We're going to be recording that uh, next uh, this coming week, so... Stay tuned. I'll keep everybody posted on the status of that. I'm kind of, I'm kind I'm always happy. I'm always, every time there's a theme, like it, it's, I'm always overjoyed with what we decide on. And I think this month's going to be a fun one as usual. So, so South by Southwest is happening right now. Uh, we are covering it on the site. So, Stay tuned for some written reviews on that, and uh, I'll probably be t- talking about more of what I've been seeing at the festival this year. We're covering it remotely, so we're not there physically, but Chris and I are uh, looking at what they have this year. So the one that we're <laughs> the one that we're going to be talking about first is called Bitch Ass. This is directed by Bill Posley. I have a synopsis here. A gang initiation goes wrong when a group of four recruits break into a house of horror as they're all forced to play deadly games for their lives. Win and you live, lose and you die. So this one seemed very intriguing to me. This is supposedly the first black masked serial killer movie. And I was like, oh, that's that's great. I mean, there's definitely slasher, like Candyman comes to mind immediately. Like, that's a slasher movie yeah. featuring a black villain. Um, and then of course, the this is this is a movie that that also draws heavy inspiration from other films like People Under the Stairs, uh, Tales from the Hood. <laughs> and according to the press notes, Meteor Man, too, which I think is really funny that he mentions Meteor Man in that, in that. But remember Meteor Man? I do, I do. I'm about to rewatch that. I have a Meteor Man poster. Not a lot of people can say that. I wonder how many people can say that. Probably like four. But I do have a Meteor Man poster. Is so no, it's not. <laughs> It's not hanging. <laughs> Definitely not hanging. So, you know, it's it seemed like a, a pretty intriguing movie. I usually like what South by Southwest has to offer in general. I think that that their curation and, and their programming is is usually pretty much on point. Um and then but with bitch ass here. I don't I don't know, man. I just feel like they really missed the mark with this one. I feel like the programmers at South by Southwest missed the mark in bringing this one into the festival. I feel like the filmmakers missed the mark with maybe they bit off more than they could chew with this. But uh, I, I did not enjoy myself whatsoever with this movie from beginning to end. I thought it was absolutely... Uh, just a bad experience. And I, and I, I really feel bad criticizing this so harshly, but I just, it is what it is. And I feel like I just need to be honest about it. Yeah. No, it's like, like you said, I think when we talked about this and we ended up picking this movie to cover, it was like the, the synopsis was so intriguing. Such an, such a great idea. It's just, it seems like you could have tons of fun with this. Just that, that, that set up that premise of people going into someone's house and then this, this killer essentially making them play board games for their lives. But the biggest thing about this is the biggest criticism that I have is 
like the extremely weak parts of this movie are those. It's those moments where they play the games for the deaths. It's just like they're bad. Yeah, I mean everything. Everything regarding that is bad. This the very cheap looking production design. Everything looks. Uh, it, you know what it looks like to me? It reminds me of like a middle school who decided to put put on a haunted house for charity or something. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like like that's every, it, and and I think that was a, a part of me that I was it, like in the early stages of this because of the just the overall bad filmmaking, just a lot of decisions that like like you said the aspect ratio and stuff. Like it just looks really bad. There's bad acting. Uh, like the production design is just bad. Like all these things are bad, right? But there was a part of me that was like, well, you know, I this is low budget, so hopefully when we get to the you know the the centerpieces of this of the plot line here of these playing these board games to the death, maybe maybe those will you know essentially make up for it. You know, if you at least give me those moments i can kind of be uh, a little forgiving of everything in between because you know that, a lot of times that's what happens in movies you're just like those are the 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 aspects that you really put all of your all into and then everything else outside of it is just to get to the next one and you can be a little forgiving if it's not that great in order to get you to the next game so to speak but you finally get to the first game and you're like wow no the games are actually worse <laughs> yeah, than all bad. the in between stuff. The the games are are stupid and make very little sense, and they all look really bad too. Like the way that they're designed, it's just not not good, man. I'm I'm sorry to say, but it, it is just not good. I want to talk about that aspect ratio again. I'm going to come back to that because I had such a hard time understanding why yeah. that aspect ratio. It, this is like, I don't know what the aspect ratio is. I'm not super good at like detecting, you know, what, what aspect ratios are, unless it's four by three, 16 by nine, you know, standard stuff. But yeah, this was this super wide aspect ratio. So it, basically the whole movie was told in this little sliver in, in going across the screen and you just didn't know, like, there was just so little space that they were working with that I felt like everything was just so cramped and it, it was annoying. Like, it just it was very frustrating. But then, like, at first I was like, oh, well, maybe it's just, maybe it's this, this, uh, the screener that we're, that we're viewing. At first I was like, well, maybe it's this TV I'm watching it on. So I pulled it up on my computer and I was like, no, no, it's, it's this way too. But then I remembered that early, like the opening sequence, which it this has like bookends to it that are tacked on for no reason. Like there, there, there's just really no reason for an intro and an outro other than to bring in Tony Todd in a cameo mm -hmm. and you know pay pay homage to Tales from the Hood. Um, those are like in a four by three aspect ratio. So I, I know it was a conscious decision to to make it that super wide. And then there's these like in, in completely incomprehensible split screen moments that come in that, that change things up. And the split screen adds nothing to the, the style, the story. And it honestly, it felt like this was a, a film school movie where the, the filmmakers were just trying stuff out. Like, Oh, let's just right, put, try let's a little some, bit of everything. Yeah, let's just put some split screen in here and just let's see how this goes. But it, it doesn't really aid in the storytelling aspect of it at all. So no, it, 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 it makes it makes it much worse. Yeah. So unfortunately, it's just, even on even on top of that, you have like strobing split screens, and just you know that you have that opening sequence where it's like Rubik's cubes that are twisting and turn it's just it's so much it's just too much the the killer the whole like story behind this is that it's it's a kid who 
grew up in a very with a with a grandmother who was abusive and he got bullied and then he grew into this masked uh killer but the the weird thing about this is that i mean it seemed like it was trying to like be a candy man type of thing but um it's strange because it's two different actors so the there's flashbacks that go back to 1980 which by the way no one is going to be convinced that that is 1980 when you see modern cars just driving around in the background of every scene and the the like the clothes that they're wearing like 1980 was basically the 70s still and the clothes that they're wearing in those flashbacks are not even 80s clothes they're they're like modern clothes like it just did he i don't know why they made it be uh taking place in 1980 and then 1999 or whatever it didn't make any sense there was no reason for that i mean it was like making it more difficult you know to sell this but um you have two different actors playing bitch ass and the one one actor has a really thick accent and so you're like, okay, how did he suddenly like get this accent when he got older? Yeah. <laughs> Which doesn't make any sense. The mask is stupid and like not it's it's literally just like a like a black cardboard mask. Yeah, it's like a sleep mask. So like that's not cool. It's just yeah, and I think it's just the the other thing on top of that is again, like a lot of times I can be forgiving of like poor performances, but the the bitch ass character in the the present day when he's killing like that performance was just so grating it's just it's just so over the top and trying so hard to be like this badass type, and it's just really annoying and grating. Yeah, like none the of that. Line deliveries. Oh god, yeah. And there was like really bad one-liners in there and none of that none of that worked at all. It was also like they're talking about him being like the serial killer. I don't think he's a serial killer. He he kills people that break into his house. I don't think yeah. that that makes him a serial killer. So all I've seen evidence of is someone murdering people who break into his home yeah i mean he does in really elaborate ways yeah but still that doesn't define him as a serial killer well might be a sadistic got enough bodies i think isn't like a serial killer isn't like a serial killer someone who murders like over time i think it's just a matter of you know what I don't actually know the definition. I think it's just more than, you know. I think it's over a span one. of time. I think that the t- d- time plays a role. Let's see. Serial killer definition. Let's see here. I mean, it's a person, he, a person who commits a series of murders, often with no apparent motive and typically following a characteristic, predictable behavior pattern. Yeah, he's kind of got that. I mean, he kind of has a motive. He doesn't want you in his house. He does have a characteristic, predictable behavior pattern. No, he's going to kill you in complicated, albeit small scale. Yeah, I don't even know if complicated. Poorly constructed. (laughs) (laughs) Poorly constructed. I'm just thinking of like the one where he does like the Jenga, and I'm just like, man, he's set up all these pulleys. Like, how's he have all this stuff? The thing I didn't understand. He's just waiting for like one day. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, what? You just leave it set up and hope that someone breaks into your house to do this, to like force them into this. The thing about the Jenga one I thought was kind of weird was that you would think that, that you would play Jenga and it would help you. But like every time you pull one of the blocks out, it makes the noose tighter. So, <laughs> so it's like, why would you pull any of them out? Why wouldn't you just say, I'm not going to play this game because he's tied up too? remember. Mm-hmm. So, or, or when you pull the blocks out, it pulls the other person's pulley. Yeah. 
That well, makes see. that makes so much more sense than pulling the blocks out to to make your own noose tighter. I would have liked to, like if I was playing, I just would have reached across and knocked all of his blocks off. Yeah, <laughs> the, the, and the Connect Four one was really dumb too. The uh, I mean the, the the worst one is that you culminate with. Well, I guess it, I should say it was the penultimate one. So you would think that, of course, you're you're building up to. You know, like the last two, or you know, the last one is just going to be something incredible, right? But like the penultimate one is a, like a battleship knockoff <laughs> yeah. that just looked really terrible, and it also seemed like there was only three, like three uh, planes on the thing, which it, and also it seemed like they only took up one space. You know how in battleship. The the ships yeah. are like different sizes. Well, these look like he they had took to, up one spot. And he, but he had to guess four times. He had to give four hits to kill the guy. And it was like, there's only three planes though. And the Tony Todd thing, it, I'm pretty sure Tony, you could tell that Tony Todd was reading a script. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. He this was just some extra cash for him. He's reading a script. The makeup effects were rough to say the least none of the gore effects worked at all like they looked very bad there was very clear like prosthetic and makeup stuff done like the operation scene like that that whole thing like looks so bad well and i think that's when because that's the first game right and is it you you finally get to that point and it takes a while to get to the first game, but you finally get there. And I'm thinking, okay, here we go. We're gonna see, we're gonna see what this creativity is gonna take us, right? And then you see what the game is, is that it's opera, and it just his line delivery of like, you can't touch the sides, which a <laughs> he didn't. I, I don't know how he rigged it up to do because yeah. there's no sides, and, and the guy clearly like. It was nothing but intestines in this body. Like, it was just pure yeah. intestines. And the guy grabbed the intestines, and it still shocked him. So I don't know, like, how that defined, like, how he touched a side. Yeah, it made absolutely no sense whatsoever. I just, I, I couldn't. And, you know, th- that's the first one. So you're like, wow. It's downhill this from is, here. This is, yeah, this is going to be rough. Because that was holding out that I was like, okay, everything else is bad. But at least maybe they just put all their eggs in the in the game basket, so to speak. So you finally get to that first game, and you're thinking, okay, you you're gonna give me one aspect of this. I mean, this is your this is your centerpiece, right? So this has got to be. And then that just wow, that was just extremely disappointing. So you're like, okay, I think moving forward from here, there's gonna be there's not gonna be a single aspect of this that I'm going to enjoy. Yeah. And I still have quite some time to go. <laughs> it was a slog. I, I love the, so the, uh, the, the final game, I'm, this isn't, I'm not going to spoil anything like results or anything like that, but the final game that the, one of the characters gets to pick what game they want. And it was very obvious what game he was going to pick, but mm-hmm. I was, I was thinking to myself, what if he said like, Settlers of Catan or something. I think it would be so funny if he did something like that. Or Ticket to Ride. Like one of these, you know, boring. Yeah, it would be great to have a boring game that takes a long time. Yeah. Stratego. Stratego would be good. But like he would have had he would have had to like known of a way to turn that game, whatever he picked into like a deadly game yeah so we're we're to believe what if you play like we're, i don't know i'm trying to yeah like any of those games that like stratego risk settlers of Catan, any of those like really long involved games or some like obscure not obscure yeah, you, but like how do you turn that into a murder yeah pick some like really involved long artisan game Anyway, also there's there's during the 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 game he picks 
So so they they play rock paper scissors and you know when he if you pick rock and you lose you get hit with a rock or whatever and there's one time where he picks scissors and he loses and he and the guy burns him with a lighter and it's like wait a minute he picked scissors so we saw before what happens if you pick paper and if you pick rock and you lose but why would we go to a lighter with scissors there's a yeah. there's a there's a missed opportunity there there's also there's a moment where so like the main character we don't know who his dad is and i i thought for sure that they were going to reveal like something about who his real dad was and they didn't go there with it and i was really surprised i thought for sure that bitch actually, was, was going to be his dad i was actually really like i was surprised too because i like i felt it i i saw it coming and i was like man they're going to do it they're going to do it yeah i thought I was for just, sure i was really happy that they didn't because i think it would have made it much worse mm mhm it would have made the whole thing make even less sense than it already does. There's also a scene where a a woman is hooked up to an IV and she gets the IV pulled out of her and instantly dies. <laughs> Which I was like, wait a minute, what? Wow. I, another thing that I want to point out, because we talked about this off air, but there's this, there's a lot of decisions that are made in this movie visually speaking a lot of visual like flourishes and stuff that are thrown in for really no reason just really confusing but one of the main ones is essentially labeling every room Ugh. an aspect of the house that you don't really need to for some reason and the games too they do the same thing with the games and i just don't you know they were like oh bring her down the hallway, and then it's an overhead shot of a hallway with the words hallway. I thought at first... on the floor, and I'm just like, I know what a hallway is. When they when they did it, the, the first time they did it, I was like, oh man, here we go. Like, I was like, okay, the, the each room is labeled because it's like a board game, Like, so the whole house is a board game. But I thought that it was like actual like there within the movie, not just added for, for the viewer, for our benefit. And, and then after like the second one, I realized like, Oh no, like th- those are just like titles added in post, presumably for art, for us. Like, yeah. <clears throat> and, and that's what I mean. I don't understand. You're giving me an overhead shot of a narrow walkway with inside of a home. I know that's a hallway. I know what a hallway is. You know what I mean? Like, there's only one definition of a hallway. Well, and the other thing yeah. is, it would make, and it wouldn't make total sense, and I think it would still be a bad idea to do it, but it would make more sense if each room had, like, its own theme, and there was, like, a, a trap or a game in each room. Because then each room would be more defined. Because as it is here... They're just, it's just like rooms. Like most of the yeah. rooms are just regular old rooms and they don't have anything special about them at all. You know, other no, than. And like, it's just, they'll be like sunroom. And I'm like, I, do I need to know that it's a sunroom? Like nothing particularly special happens in the sunroom. It's not sun themed. There's not, like, there's no reason for me to know that that is the sunroom. Yeah. Also, just as a technical note, the labels are added in a very kind of sloppy way. And they like, as the camera pans, like a lot of them just kind of move around. So they don't, they're not like anchored to the, to the scene in any way. And it just looks very rough. Maybe, I don't know, maybe this isn't like a final cut. I think it is. I don't, I didn't see anything about this being, um, a, like a work print or anything, but. Yeah, I I feel bad. I think that this was an ambitious movie that they just didn't maybe they just didn't have the budget for, but I don't feel like that completely excuses it just because I I think that the script was lacking very heavily as well. Yeah. No, I think you could you can definitely make this on a low budget. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you can make this work. 
Yeah, but it's not. It's not like just a, a lot of decisions movie. here. There's a lot of decisions being made here that are just not to the film's benefit in any way. Yeah. I mean, most of the decisions are detrimental. And and again, I I feel bad like ragging on it and criticizing it so harshly, but it's just this is it, I just feel like I have to. But like you said, it it really does not feel like a finished product. No, it it's doesn't. really confusing. For and you again, to say that it's South by Southwest. Yeah, exactly. Like again, I'll just reiterate: I don't understand how this got into South by Southwest. I mean, this is like one of the big film festivals. It's not like you know one of these, like I'm uh, dances with films, for instance. This seems like one that would be in dances with films, where it's like really micro budget type stuff. Yeah. Yeah, that's like first time even, filmmakers, student filmmakers. Yeah, because even if you told me that this was playing slam dance, I would be surprised. Yeah, I would be surprised. Like, wow. Yeah, this definitely doesn't fit. It just and it doesn't fit like the the vibe of those festivals either. Like it, like I don't know how to describe it, but like when you see certain movies, you're just like, oh yeah, that this feels like a South by Southwest movie, like. I think that the programmers in these festivals are so in tune with the the vibe of the festival itself that they can easily pick these these titles that just fit well within the overall aesthetic of of the festival and this just does not <laughs> match up with it at all. Again, though, I think I think maybe it was chosen maybe on the just the premise alone, it's a cool idea, but it just does yeah. not execute. No, no. All right, let's go ahead and give it a score. Kevin, what are you going to give bitch ass out of 10? Uh, like a one. I'm also going half. This is also a, this is a half for me. Yeah, I, th- I was, I was thinking, do we go halves? But um, I'm gonna go halves. Yeah, it's uh, like rating this on Letterboxd, it'll be a half. So it's like a half or one, either one for me. It's just uh, I I can't recommend it at all. This is probably going to no. be one of the one of the most uh, disappointing things that I've seen this year. So, yeah, unfortunately, again, I feel yeah. bad saying that, but it is what it is. Unfortunately, like you said, it is what it is. I mean, it's can't sugarcoat it. Bad. It is bad. It is very bad. Yep. All right. Uh, moving on to one that is not bad. That is playing South by Southwest. And this is another horror movie. It's it's, uh, called Deadstream. And this is directed by Joseph Winter and Vanessa Winter. It is a sort of like a found footage style movie. I would call this like more of a horror comedy. And the premise of this one is that you have a, a live streamer. He's like a, he's like a Twitch streamer. Uh, and he, encountered some controversy that got him canceled and he took some time off to reflect and he is deciding to come back. Uh, He got suspended, I think from the platform that he was on and he comes back six months later and he has this, this plan to spend one night in this really haunted house and he locks himself in. He removes the spark plugs from his car so he can't, like, you know, wuss out. And the movie is just him encountering the the ghosts of this, this house. And it's shot in a, a way where, like, he's, he's live streaming the whole thing. So, like, we're the viewers watching this live stream. And they do a really good job. Um, one of the one of the things that I that I tend to criticize the most with with found footage or screen life movies, any of these movies that that try to do that that type of thing, is that that just the technology aspect of it and whether or not it's it's believable. And I think that they do a really good job in this. Obviously, they can't use like the Twitch branding or anything like that. But they do a pretty good job of like kind of recreating what the Twitch ecosystem is like. So they have like uh, 
they'll periodically check in with like the chat and stuff. And it just, it feels very accurate to that, that live streaming thing. So they did a really good job with it technically. And, and also the way that it works is like, he'll go into a room and he has like cameras, like he's holding a camera. He has a a camera on his, on his head. And then he has another camera that's pointed towards him and he'll like mount the camera in a room. So then we'll have a new angle and it's hooked up to motion sensors. So anytime there's motion, it'll switch to that camera. And I just, they did a really good job with that. The movie, I would, I would compare it to something like evil dead Two. It's, it's very, it seems to, to draw a lot of inspiration from the evil dead movies where you have these like kind of demons, these like kind of wise cracking demons that, are attacking him pretty much nonstop. Well, not that's not true. Like at one point. Um, and there's a lot of like, kind of, I would say like kind of slapstick, uh, comedy in here. Uh, but it's all done very, very well. It doesn't feel like it's ripping off evil dead or anything like that. It's definitely, its own thing. And I enjoyed it quite a bit. I would definitely recommend it. This was picked up by shutter already. So it'll be dropping on shutter. I think later this year. Nice. Yeah. Deadstream is the name. Keep an eye out for that one. Uh, I watched uh, threads last night, 1984 threads, Mick Jackson, what is Mick Jackson uh, directed? Bodyguard. That's not a name. Yeah. It's not a name that I know. (laughs) I'm like, I don't, I've never, heard of this guy like what else has he done because threads is pretty good and uh it was surprising to see the rest of his filmography uh so this is nuclear holocaust 1984 i think if you watch this in the 80s it had to be just like an absolutely harrowing experience because it is watching it in 2022 because this this movie is just just fucked this, this is, is a this is a made for TV movie too. Yeah. They, this played on TV. Yeah, and it's nuts because I love the way I just the overall structure of this is just fucking phenomenal. Because it starts out with just being a very intimate story of these two, this young couple getting pregnant really and a lot of the like the geopolitical stuff is just kind of happening in the background on radios on tv like just kind of getting updated throughout you know between uh the u.s iran and russia and it's just you can see it like quietly escalating like through little news snippets and stuff but most of the focus is on the couple themselves like telling their parents their parents meeting each other then buying a house him working his job, like that kind of thing. And it just worked really, really well, I thought. And then, you know, you're kind of building up to it where it was like essentially this this uh this working class city of Sheffield is like them implementing their emergency plans. Where it's you know, they're kind of getting ready, but you don't know if it's actually gonna happen. They're just making sure that they're prepared, really. And then all hell breaks loose, which I wasn't 100% ready for because it takes a while for it to happen. And it just like, to me, the buildup of it is just masterful because then when it is unleashed, it's a fucking nightmare. It's just like, like you said, this is made for TV and the images that you see when it finally does happen, I just, I wasn't quite prepared for it. Yeah, this is a movie you can't unsee like you will always remember this movie yeah because it gets oh man it's about as it bleak as as you yeah. can possibly get oh yeah because i mean nuclear holocaust is bleak you know you're not you know this is a very like straightforward like almost scientific like hey this is what would happen i mean of course they take some liberties with some things but for the most part it's like hey we're not going to sugarcoat it. Nuclear Holocaust would be fucking awful. Yeah, this is what ha- this is what your body goes through after being exposed to this. If if you survive, you know yeah. the initial the initial and, blast. And I think if I would survive, and I look out, and you see everything's on fire, I'm I'm dead. 
I'm killing myself <laughs> right there. Like, there's I mean, no point. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, like, you you, the- you see that the life that these people are forced to to lead afterwards is that's uh, what I don't. Oh. That's what I don't quite understand. Is like, how do you see that that initial? You just look out on that landscape and be like, ah, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to see how we bounce back from this. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the one of the scariest things, I don't know if it's the scary, anyway, um, is the fact that they weren't even involved. Like, it was a, it was not a war that they were involved in, and it was a like a bomb that was miscalculated or, or malfunctioned and, and dropped. So, like, they weren't even involved in this war that was happening, and yet they're the ones who, you know, were suffering the most from it. The fact that they were just kind of caught in the crossfire of this. Yeah, this is this is bleak as hell. And it just, it keeps going, and it keeps progressively getting worse after yeah. that initial buildup, and you're just like, oh, please stop. <laughs> stop <laughs> at some point. <laughs> Like I get it. Yeah, it's it's a it's a really tough it's a really tough movie for sure. It's yeah, it, and it's incredible. It's incredible. Yeah, should, no, it's clear. it's one of those things where I will never watch this ever again. Never in a million years. I never mm-hmm. want to see this movie again. Nope. But I do think that you should see it. Yeah, I agree. And it's and it's, it's on, on Tubi. It's on Tubi. It's also on Shutter and Mubi and, and Arrow. And yeah, so it's, or you could rent it on Amazon if you want. If you want to pay for it, I don't know why, but if you want to, I think that you should probably not watch it on Tubi unless you have. I don't know if Tubi has like a plan where it's no commercials, but if, this I, is the this is the one weird time where the commercials helped. Yeah, I just I don't know. I feel like injecting in like. Swiffer commercials into it, threads. It, it would not really. It, it 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 shouldn't work, but it provides you with levity to be like this, you know, hol- nuclear holocaust, endless suffering that just keeps compounding and compounding and getting worse and worse. And then you get a little break because then you get to see about Taco Bell breakfast burritos, and you're like, <laughs> oh, thank God! Like, actually, some hope in the world. This is great. Got it. Okay. All right. Well, that's threads. Uh, that's like one of the most depressing movies you will ever see. Uh, yeah, moving, moving on from that, another South by Southwest movie that I saw this week is called Skate Dreams. This is a documentary by Jessica Edwards. Uh, now, if you have been a listener for any amount of time, you'll know that I'm really into skating. And uh, this is a skateboard documentary about women's women's skateboarding. Uh, it's an okay documentary. It mostly takes a look at modern women's skateboarding, like where, where the sport is at now. And it follows around, uh, some of the, um, more popular women, uh, women skateboarders who are competing today, including the, the USA women's team that, uh, went to the Olympics I feel like, and and they sort of talked about like how the the fact that like skateboarding was, you know, always a a predominantly male driven sport and that it was always really difficult for women to, to break into skateboarding. And it was always sort of an uphill battle for, for women skateboarders as far as like earning a living doing it and stuff like that. And I think that that's great. And I, and I also like the fact that, you know, they're that they discuss the fact that right now women's skateboarding is just blowing up and it's becoming huge. And that's great too. But I feel like there's a lot of, there's, there's some things that they kind of missed in this, like, like the, the fact that like, um, like, uh, Alyssa steamer, for instance, who was in like the Tony Hawk games and the fact that she, uh, I, f- I feel like she influenced a lot of uh, young women who t- to get in and girls to get into skateboarding. And they didn't really talk about like the skate kitchen uh, crew or anything like that. So I feel like that they, they did kind of miss some things. And I feel like 
the documentary at times was a little bit aimless in in its messaging but overall i think it's it's still a a a positive uh documentary and and i found myself entertained and there's some great skateboarding in it too so uh something that i was extremely entertained by that's the french dispatch Ooh! finally got around to the wes anderson because this popped up on hbo max and i was like you know what i'm gonna do it so this is a thing that i've noticed now too because I've talked about this. I wasn't that excited for the French Dispatch. I'm not excited for, and I'm still not, for Licorice Pizza. And I wasn't that excited for Tenet. You know, movies by filmmakers that if this happened, you know, 15 years ago or so, I would have been just fucking losing it. You know, like, oh my God, I can't wait to see French Dispatch. Gotta go opening night. We'll drive an hour to Baltimore to see it. You know Mm -hmm. what I mean? And it, it, lately, I've just been like, I don't really have an interest in it. But now, two for two, I thoroughly enjoyed Tenant. That really surprised me. And the French Dispatch really surprised me in that I fucking love this. This felt like a culmination of all the great aspects of Wes Anderson that I like mm-hmm. coming together on like a large scale where he's like fine-tuned all of his... uh all of his style, everything that it, that I like him for. Because I think the one of the issues that I have with him, which there is a little bit here, is that like the last couple of movies, he seemed to get really caught up in the what I consider uh, like inventory taking, where he's just making lists and he just shows you stills of things <laughs> that are like you know very organized, and you're just like, yeah, all right, I get it, picture book. Like, is there a story, though? Are we doing anything? Or are we just listing things? And it seemed like that's what he was doing. Where here, he does that a little bit. I mean, he's always going to do that. But I think it's uh, it's kind of tucked in underneath all of this great stuff. Because he's got a lot going on here between using color and black and white. And in the present day and in the past and using these side-by-sides and these elaborate sets and stage production. You even got animation in here. You got some stop motion. Like, you have everything. He's got a little bit of everything sprinkled in there. And it just, it worked perfectly for me. And what was even more surprising is from the outset, I was kind of, I was a little leery because it's the whole, you know, like three separate little stories that make up this with kind of like bookends type deal. And I'm just like, I usually, I really don't like that setup. It just usually does not work for me. But it did here. Like, I just, I had so much fun with this. Yeah, I really loved this one as well. Just the fact that the sets in this are so elaborate. Like, for one scene, there'll be like a set that they clearly, they built that's like this huge, like ornate complicated yeah. set and it's literally shown for like 30 seconds and you're just like yeah. whoa and they just like wheel it away yeah it's it just so, it's wild man and it's also it's kind of fun too that because you see him doing like in the the very beginning is like him doing like a, a tati knockoff of the guy like walking through the building when you see it from the exterior mm-hmm. and you know him doing the traveling the journey and then you have like French New Wave knockoff. Like, you have all of these things that you can kind of pinpoint and be like, oh, okay, that's what he's riffing on here. But yeah, that, done that, in that, his style. Yeah, that have clearly been, like, inspirations for him from the very beginning. So yeah, it's, he makes it's, it hit distinctly his. Yeah, it's, it, it's great. I highly recommend it. And like you said, it's on HBO Max, so you can check it out there if you have it. And it's, it's on VOD, too. So good. Yeah, I kind of want to rewatch this now. Uh, the The final South by Southwest movie that I saw this week is called Pirates. This is directed by Reggie Yates. It is a comedy that takes place on New Year's Eve in 1999 in the UK. And it's about three friends who, three best friends who they run a pirate radio station and they're trying to get into this, uh, this like kind of, popular exclusive club 
for for New Year's Eve, the big Y2K party, and they're trying to get in. And it's just, uh, you know, kind of, kind of your standard super bad style comedy where the, you know, the, a million things go wrong and their, their friendship is tested and it's, it's okay. Nothing really incredible about this. I would like kind of just say it's like right down the middle for me, like, there were some moments of humor. A lot of it didn't land. Uh, I liked the characters. I liked the three central characters. Uh, I thought that they had a good energy and a good rapport with each other. I did like that this took place in 1999. I kind of like 90s club music, so I was into that. Especially like UK, like 90s UK club music. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, Blight recommend for me. It's called Pirates. All right, let's talk about what we have in theaters this week. Got a couple things. Uh, one is X. That's the new Ty West one. I I think I'm actually going to go see this in the theater. did not realize that this was coming out now. And neither did I. Neither did I. It's playing at South by Southwest. It's premiering there. But I guess it's a really quick turnaround. And it's playing small local theaters, too. It's getting a wide release. Wow. Yeah. That's really the only that's really the only one. There's a Jujutsu Kaisen movie that's coming out, Jujutsu Kaisen Zero, which is an anime. Is that an anime or is it a yeah, it's an anime. I wasn't sure if it was like a live action version of it or something. I started watching that series and I really liked it, but it I didn't keep up with it. I should get back to it. Uh that's pretty much it for theaters on VOD this week. We have on the 15th, Lost Angel. That is a, uh, what is that? Thriller? Maybe. When Lisa returns home to the small island of Newport after the mysterious death of her sister, she's drawn into a dangerous and unsettling quest to uncover the truth. Hmm. We also have The Race to Save the World, which is a documentary. On the 18th, we have Deep Water. That's going to be on Hulu. That is with uh, Ben Affleck and uh, Ana de Armas. Uh-huh. Yeah, not not too into that. We got Toll Booth coming out, which is a like an action movie. Got Panama. It's a Mel Gibson action thriller. Saban, Saban Films there. We got Expired. Starring Ryan Quanton. Haven't seen him in a while. I have no idea who that is. It's the dude from True Blood. The brother. No, I've never watched True Blood. Oh, really? I thought you yeah. did. Eh. I forgot that that was a show. It's It, it really wasn't that great. People, eh, whatever. Um, yeah, it's a futuristic action thriller from the looks of it. Let's see what else we have here. The Hater. It's a comedy. We have Measure of Revenge with Bella Thorne and Melissa Leo. Probably skip that. Uh, Tethered coming out. This is a kind of an interesting concept. It's about a a guy who is, lives in the woods in North Carolina, but he's blind, so he mm-hmm. he has like strings set up all over the place and that's that's how he gets around lives in the woods that sounds this does sound kind of interesting there's a mysterious creature lurking in the woods yeah i like i like wood creatures the only thing that gives me a little bit of hesitation with it is that gravitas ventures is the company putting it out and honestly their output over the last couple years has been very uh not great so that's the only thing that makes me a little bit nervous about that one. I I can easily see this as one of those attempts at elevated horror where nothing happens. Could be, yeah. For like 80 minutes. Mm-hmm. Also on the 18th, we have Master. This is uh, the one. This is going to be an Amazon Prime. This is the one with Regina Hall that's like a thriller? Horror thriller, thriller maybe? Looks, oh, shit. Looks pretty good. Oh, it's the Diallo movie. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. 
Yeah, this is also going to be at South by Southwest this week before the uh, before it drops on Prime. Oh, that's awesome. I yeah, like that. That, that might be our, our movie next week. That's pretty much it for VOD on Blu-ray. Let's see what we got here for March 15th. An American Werewolf in London from 1981 getting a limited edition 4K release on Arrow. We got Red Rocket coming out. If you haven't seen that yet, I would recommend it. Uh, West Side Stories coming out in 4K. That's the new one. Dream a Little Dream from 1989 coming out on the Vestron Collector series. That's the uh, Corey's one. I've never seen that. Might might have to check that out. Nightmare from 1984 coming out. Sorry, 1964 Collector's Edition. Contraband from 1980, Murder in a Blue World from 1973, The Boy Behind the Door from uh, 2020. That is on Shudder, so if you have Shudder, you can watch that on there. See, we got Farewell from 1930, Rifkin's Festival from 2020, Zoot Suit from 1981. Zoot Suit. Such a fun couple of words to say. I really like the cover of this one. Based on a 1940s Los Angeles murder trial, the film follows the case of members of a Mexican-American gang led by Henry Reyna as they're tried and sentenced to San Quentin for a murder they have not, they may have not committed. Kino is putting that out. Uh, let's see. Signal the movie. Not sure what, I'm not sure what the alternative to that is. Signal the movie. Oh, it's a it was it's Book. a Japanese drama series, oh. and then they okay never heard of it. Uh, Death Race twenty fifty question mark. <laughs> I didn't know that this existed, but there's I guess they made a death run in twenty sixteen. They made a new Death Race movie. Hmm. With Malcolm McDowell. Maybe I did know that. Maybe I did see that. Actually. Yeah, you did. You gave it two and a half stars. There we go. I, I remember it now, actually. It's starting to come back to me. This You say you love the original, hate the remakes. This is somewhere in between. All right. Flipper from 1996, starring Elijah Wood and Paul Hogan. Oh, man. Classic. Uh, Brazil from 1985. Yeah, that's pretty much it. What about Criterion's? Uh, we have a re-release of uh, Jean-Pierre Melville's Le Circle Rouge from 1970. The French classic. Mm. Nice. Great. Been been eagerly anticipating that one. I know you have, and it's finally here. Woo. All right. I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net at, and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, consider reviewing us on iTunes. That would be very much appreciated. For Kevin Rakeshaw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.